yourself in church, please don't feel like a sign of holiness is a face that looks dour. Is that a word? Sour. Is sour and dour a word? They're both words that I don't want you to be revealing to me today in your expression. I would like you to be in a moment where you can celebrate. You know what? Some of you here this morning, you've got things going on in your world where you're thinking, where can I find that point of celebration? Hey, when we shared communion today, that was the revelation. That's the revelation point. That forever we are on the other side of the grave. Forever we are on the other side of the tomb, not because of what we've done, but what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know the part we play? Like the prodigal son. We think, yeah, he made a big decision. No, he didn't. He just turned and changed his direction. And the father was waiting for him. You remember that? So come on, let's keep turning and facing our way to the promise. Turn to the promise. Turn to the promise, wherever you might be. What's your name, young man? Pardon? Ashton, how old are you? 12. Fantastic. Is this making funny noises? Yep. Are you all right with that, Jeanette? No. You're really upset about it. Oh, your husband's on sound and you're texting him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do I need to do something different? Okay, keep going. Sing. <laughs> oh, that'll work. Ashton? Yeah, I, I really want to encourage you. God's put a leadership gift on your life. And uh, it's a very, uh, you, 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 the, the reason why you carry it so well is because you're so humble. A 12-year-old kid that's humble. We need to uh, snapshot that and uh, put that up because you're going to be 13 next year or this year and you're going to be a teenager. And uh, I just encourage you, no matter what, don't put any pressure on that word leadership. Put a lot of emphasis on that word humbleness, humility. Keep finding out, what does that actually mean? What does that really mean? And keep doing that and God's just going to open paths and doorways and opportunities for you to express that leadership and it's going to be fantastic. You're going to really bless lots of people. You're going to be a great encouragement to God's kingdom. So great, wonderful. Is this, is, is this one, one family? Yep. You're Ashton's father? Yes? Great. Okay. Wonderful. I encourage you guys. It's beautiful. Who wants to uh, open up God's living word today? Okay. For the three of the people that are keen for that, here we go. John chapter 4. Everyone else, just come for the ride. Um, my brother is uh, one of my heroes in life. Uh, he served Christ faithfully for as long as I've known him. Has always helped me to make great choices. Um, and today he's away. So I'm basically going to uh, just uh, take over his, uh, his thing that he's building with his wife, Loz. And uh, I really want to speak into something here today that I hope blesses this church and uh, blesses you personally. And and, uh, and blesses my uh, brother and sister-in-law and their family. So that, uh, that photo, uh, w- 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 the story behind that picture of the car in the ditch, uh, the place where they are in, in, in Canada is just so beautiful. And so they're driving along, admiring all the scenery, and they're going really, really slow. Like he said, we were literally crawling along. And there came this monument. It was, a, it was an old uh, uh, retired jail on one side. And, uh, and they turn their eyes to really marvel at this, you know, historic thing. And next thing, they were in the ditch. And so all the family's like, oh, are you okay? Is everyone okay? He's writing on the, text, on, the, on the family group of WhatsApp. He's saying, oh, we were going so slow. It's more embarrassing. And dad gets on. He says, well, I guess the lesson here is stay out of jail. Like, oh. <laughs> Thanks, dad. 
John chapter 4 is where we're going this morning. The value of a soul. The value of a soul. John chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Verse 2 in brackets, a little bit of extra information. He didn't do it himself. His disciples did. Verse 3, we're getting into the real context of where we're going today. It says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He's on an adventure here. He had to, listen to this passage of scripture that we read here. I don't want you to miss this because I reckon we often read things in the Bible and the story's going somewhere, so we miss the context of why the story's going there. It's really important that we get this. And you've got to listen to this one word in this verse that maybe you've skipped over before. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, if we pause there, we have an opportunity to establish a full understanding of what we've just read that's going to give us a greater understanding of what's to come. Who knows what John chapter 4 is all about? Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well. We're going to get there, but before we get there and talk about it, because you've heard it talked about before, let's build a full context around it of its significance. Because we have a word here that says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Sounds like he's giving a logical explanation or sorry a logistical explanation of what is taking place it's like when I was living in Coffs Harbour and uh, and my family moved to Moree and we went and planted a church there and we did that trip Coffs to Moree many many times and it was like me telling you that on that trip, uh, you would, if you were going the north way, uh, you would have to go through Grafton, then you would go through a place called Glen Innes, and then you would go through Inverell, and then after Inverell, uh, you would get to another place called Warrialder, and after Warrialder, you would get to a place called Gravesend. You had to go through the Gravesend before you even got to your destination. It was really quite encouraging every time you drove through. But after Gravesend would come Moree. Gravesend would come Moree. And so if Jesus is just, if we're just being told a story here that says, oh, look, there's this logistical thing that's taking place, and you'll read it that way, but I can see that there's actually something more going on there. Because if all it is, let me ask you this, if all it is is a logistical statement about two destinations, why does it even need to be there? Doesn't it, if it's just the one way and you have to go through those towns, doesn't that statement become redundant? Like, was Samaria the only place that Jesus went through on the way? Or were there other towns as well? Why don't they get a mention? Are you just able to dig with me for a moment here? Can you dig it? You say, yes, we can. Mm, So enthusiastic. That's good. Um, Feeling the love. Let me encourage you in reading your Bible. Sometimes reading your Bible can become hard work. Sometimes reading your Bible can come, become monotonous. And I, I know that in leading young people, one of the greatest challenges that we face is to in, help a young person engage with the Word of God. And so one of the ways that we help a young person engage with the Word of God is to help them not just to read the Bible, but to understand how to read the Bible. And if you get how to read the Bible, you'll start to discover things in there that actually engage you and excite you. And so let's look at this with a different context and says, okay, well, how should we read this? Let me, let me take you to somewhere 
somewhere else, Matthew chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but you need to get this. When you're reading in the Bible and something becomes too obvious to mention, you've got to go, why? Why has that been put in there? Listen to this, Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. The Bible tells us this, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and became very hungry. Really? I mean, thank you, writers of the Bible, for helping us understand that a man would go for 40 days and 40 nights without eating. I've got friends that go four hours without eating, text me, tell me they've been fasting. So that's not fasting, that's just the space between breakfast and lunch. And so when, when the Bible says this, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and became very hungry, you've got to dig in that and say, well, what is that actually saying? You might even have to get a commentary and you might have to get someone's insight on that. But it's saying something. And so you know, just on that one little side note, what that's saying there, Jesus became very hungry. It's saying Jesus has experienced the full emotion that you experience on a human, as a human being. He's experiencing what it's like to live wanting so much more but experiencing a little bit less. He's living that life where he, where he wants the dreams and the hopes and desires of the heart to be filled and yet he's very hungry. Looking for that sustenance, looking for that thing. And that's when the enemy comes and says, hey, I can fulfill that. I can give you that. That thing that you really want in your life, come with me. I'll show you how to get it. And each time in that place of extreme hunger for the hopes and the dreams of his future, Jesus says, I'll never choose to see that via that path. And that's the revelation that you and I have for our own lives. The answer for seeing the fullness of God alive in our hearts, the dreams, the hopes, desires, it's not found through the path that this world offers us. It can only be found in obedience to Christ. Does that make sense? So let's go back and bring it into this other context of talking about why Jesus had to go through Samaria. What we're going to discover is that it's such a small statement, but it's directly connected to the full purpose why Jesus was on this earth. So let's read on and discover with the, with the context I've just established what this is all about. John chapter 4, jump back in at verse 3. So he left Judea, returned to Galilee. Here we go. Verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was all alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. They must have all been very hungry. Not one of them hung out with him. Maybe they thought, Oh, well, if I don't go, I'll miss out on the feet. Anyway, they all go. Jesus stays. He was alone at the time. The time has gone. Verse 9. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Taken from the paraphrase of the message, it says, the Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And in brackets, it gives a little bit of context. It says Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. This is the massive insight that we are given with the context that we've built as to why Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you're, if you're taking notes, that means you've got a little bit of expectancy in your heart that God's going to speak today. Write this down. 
That was a backhanded encouragement for everyone to take notes. God's going to speak. Be eager for that. Be expectant for that. Here's the thought. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because it was on the way to a destination. Jesus had to go through Samaria because nobody else would. Write it down. Jesus didn't just go there because it was on the way to somewhere better. Do you know there was actually another way to get to Judea from Galilee? It was like, or, or, or whatever, I've just mixed up those two places. But there was another way. You would cross the Jordan, walk up the other side, completely avoiding Samaria. Why? Because Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaria, people, Samaritans, people, let alone enter that village. The disciples must have been extremely hungry. That's all I can say, because they had no other choice but to go there to get a feed. It's not a statement of, of convenience. Listen to me. This is a statement of purpose. When I was in high school, the way, and I'm sure it's in some ways the same today, I, I feel like this has probably gone on forever, but when I was in a sport class or a PE class and two teams had to be picked to engage in that sporting activity, what would happen is that two volunteers or two people would be chosen from the group to be the captains. And the captains, while the staff member, the teacher, went off to set up the game, well, the, the, the two captains would then select from the remaining uh, members of the class to choose two teams. You familiar with this? And this is how this whole thing would work. The very first person to be picked, there's always an order of who gets selected. The very first person to be picked is that one person in class who excelled at everything. Everyone hated that guy in an envious way, of course. So he or she gets picked. And then the two captains, they go through the process and, and then they pick. There's, a, there's like two or three that are super athletic. They get picked. And then the captain has a moral obligation to pick their best friends. Because once the game is over, they still need somewhere to sit at recess. If they don't pick their best friends, then they're out. So then the best friends get picked. And then after the best friends get picked by the two captains, all those that are able to play sport, they're not the elite, but they're able, then they get picked. Then the next group of people get picked are the students that know the rules of the game. They get picked. And then after those people get picked, there's a, another group of people get picked and, and they're, the, they're the uncoordinated students. They might know the rules, but they're also uncoordinated. But that's the tier that we've got down to. And then they get picked out. And, and then after that, after the uncoordinated students, there's maybe one or two extras that just come in. And inevitably, in my memory, what always happened, regardless of the class that you were in, there was always one, two or three students left to get picked from. They were the students that had zero coordination in their body whatsoever. They had zero interest in the game whatsoever. They had zero knowledge of the rules whatsoever. And so what we have here is two captains at the front that at the start argued over who was going to get to pick first. Because that's a very important thing. And every argument comes down to rock, scissors, paper. There would be an argument at the front that would be won by rock, scissors, paper as, as to who was going to get the first pick so that number one kid could get picked. Now we have the scene playing out to the very end and we have the same two captains at the front and another argument starts. 
But this argument isn't as to who's going to get to have these students that are left. The argument is who's not going to get to have them. So you have two groups of people, maybe 20 on each side or 15 on each side, and three people sitting there while two teams say, no, we're not having them, you have them. No, we don't want them on our team, you have them on your team. No, we're not taking them, they'll make us lose, you have them on your... And there is an argument taking place in front of other human beings about us not wanting those human beings. Now, I don't know... If when I was telling that story, you can see yourself fit into any of those categories, you probably placed yourself somewhere. But the point that I really want to make this morning is that in every experience like that, as you get older and your world changes a little bit, I rewind my memories and I feel real bad about wherever I was in that. Because I remember that moment and I didn't do anything to change it. I'm just saying, that's me. That's me personally. But you know what? Regardless of where you fit it in, some emotions should get stirred in that. Your heart should feel something. I want you to hold on to that emotion because there is something going on in this story that draws exactly from that place. And if you can feel this, then you're going to get this a whole lot more. In John chapter 4, we haven't just stumbled onto a woman who is thirsty and looking for a drink we've actually stumbled onto a person who is the last remaining pick. We've stumbled onto the person who is being spoken to in front of by the other places in society, by her culture saying, we would be better off not having you on our team. Jesus is at the well in the middle of the day and a woman turns up all by herself to gather water. Now, if you're not aware... That statement, we don't even know what this woman's done yet. We we haven't read anything. But we just know from what we've read and we understanding of the culture that that's absurd that she would be there in the middle of the day by herself drawing water. To give you an understanding of that, it's just simply not how things were done. You see, when a woman, which was her task to draw the water, it wasn't just about getting the water. It was about a social experience. It was about meeting other women at the well. It was about going and being engaged with the society, talking about the things that were happening in her world, hearing what was happening in the world of the other women. It's like when I was again in high school, I triggered this thought as I was thinking about this other thought. It's like in high school when one of the girls, I learned this in year seven, when one of the girls needed to go to the toilet, that was never a moment where one girl went to the toilet. All the boys are sitting in the group, somebody needs to go to the toilet. No one says anything. One boy gets up and walks away. When a girl needs to go to the toilet, 15 girls get up and walk away. All the boys are like, what's going on here? This is the social experience of how this community of Israel and the surrounding areas, even Samaria, this is the time frame that we're looking at. This is how the community was formed. You can fast forward it to today and you can talk about how our communities formed and where our social gatherings are. The well was the social gathering for this woman, and she's a gathering of one. Not only that, but the absurdness about this picture is that she goes to the well at noontime. It's like being a bricklayer and saying, we're going to start work, or a concreter, and saying, we're going to start work at the middle of the day. When the sun is at its hottest, baking our backs, that's when we'll go and begin. 
That's not how this society worked. The way this society worked is they went together and they went early. They went before the sun rose because it was hard, hot work. And so the absurdness of this story is she comes by herself. She comes in the middle of the day. The third thing is, and this is quite funny, this town, Shika, it had water in the town. It had water available in the town. This well that she's gone to, Jacob's well, is outside of the town. And it's water that has, it, it's not a well like that comes from a spring. It's, per, it's a percolated well. It means that they dig it real deep and then water seeps in from the, from the walls of the well. And for that, you need a bucket or something to drop down and then pull it up. It's hard work. It's not like they had in the town, which was much more accessible. She is not in the community that she's in getting what she needs. She's out in the middle of the desert on a path between towns, drawing water in a much harder way. What you need to know about this woman, maybe you already knew this, but you need to know it's not just a woman that's thirsty. This is a woman that is an outcast. This is a woman, we don't even know what she's done, but we can tell by the story that we've read that she is completely rejected by her community. She's the one sitting on the bench while everyone else has been picked and everyone is arguing about not having her on their team. And this woman knows it. When you read that passage and you see Jesus ask for some water and she says, how come you, a Samaritan, uh, sorry, a Jew, are asking a Samaritan, me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? I read that and I go, wow, it's really aggressive, isn't it? Like he just wanted some water. I know that there's cultural things of the day, but ultimately, he's a person sitting there who's obviously hot. The Bible says he was tired from his journey. Maybe he was resting on his elbow. Who knows? And she responds like that. How come you're asking me? When I read that, I think it's so over the top. Unless this woman had come to a place where she wasn't just deemed the outcast from society by society, but she'd come to believe it herself. Maybe her response reveals to us that she'd come to her own understanding, yet, yes, that's who I am, and this is where I belong. She was a woman. The culture of the day looked down on her for something she had no control over. She was a Samaritan. The culture of the day looked down on her because of her understanding of how life should be lived. And finally, she was made an outcast. The culture looked down on her because of the lifestyle she had chosen for herself. She's unnamed, unwanted, and to herself had lost all value. It's like her response to Jesus is like she's saying, how come you're asking me for some water? Don't you know who I am? How come you're talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I don't get spoken to? Don't you know I don't get not acknowledged? Don't you know that I'm not wanted? Don't you know who I am? Jesus' response in John chapter 4, verse 10, and I don't think I even have this on the screen. This is something that I just added this morning. And it says, Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She said to Jesus, don't you know who I am? And Jesus said, if only you knew who I am. Don't you know I've got all of these things in my life that rule me out of being accepted and wanted and loved and a part of this community? Don't you know who I am? Jesus says, oh, if only you knew who I am. If only you knew what I bring. If only you knew what I do, what I say, what, how I live, what I give. 
please don't miss the significance of this because Jesus is revealing to us not just a, a moment with a woman at a well. He is revealing to us a mission for coming to the earth. He says this, Matthew chapter 9 verse 12, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus had to go through Samaria because no one else would. Jesus had to go through Samaria because that's why he came to the earth. Now, let me flip this on its head a little bit. Because I can see you're sitting there going, yep, we get this. There's outcasts in our world. We have to go get the outcasts. Yep, we heard it. Let me flip this upside down because I can see you're sitting there and you've heard a message that you've heard before. But let me bring an understanding that I believe every single one of us needs to have with this or else it just becomes more information that you already know. What the first thing you need to know is that this story isn't about a woman at a well 2,000 years ago. This story isn't as simple as understanding that we live in a society with outcasts. This story, or the very most important thing that we need to get from this passage, is that this story is about all of humanity. Now, let me take that one step forward and say that from, eternal, from an eternal perspective, this gives us a revelation of who we are. Let me take it another step further, and without insulting you, let me tell you that from heaven's perspective, you're the outcast. From the perspective of heaven, this isn't a story about a woman at a well. This is a story about you. This is a story about me. This is a story about where we fit into this wonderful thing that we're now being accepted into, which is the kingdom of God. Jesus making the journey to rescue the Samaritan woman is a picture of Jesus making the journey to rescue every single one of us. Ephesians chapter 2, 2 verse 12, really encouraging scripture for you today. Really looking forward to building you up in this. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship amongst the people of Israel. Any Jewish people today? Okay, you're all out, including me, by the way. We're all out. Not one of us is in the group where we are accepted. Wait, is there a hand? Maybe a little bit of Jewish heritage, probably not enough to claim. Mm, You're out. We're all out, folks. We're all separated. We're all on the other side of this ledger. This is not good for any of us. It says this, And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them, speaking about his chosen people. Listen to this. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Sounds like the Samaritan woman. Without Jesus, that's heaven's perspective on your life and my life. You live in this world without God and without hope. Why? Because there are lots of things this world can offer you to put your hope in, but not one of those things is effective enough to take you into an eternity that you are going to live. Oh, man. One day I had a relief teacher come in. He chose me to be one of the captains. We were on the basketball court that had a tiered seat like that and all the students were sitting up on the seat and he called me out to be one of the captains. He also called out one of the other girls who was very well liked and very popular and she was 
the other captain and he pulled us aside and he said, I want you to do something different today. I want you to pick this team and I want you to pick it in reverse. What do you mean? He says, I want you to look across that class that you know and I want you to pick from the people who get picked last, pick them first. Choose them first. And the people who normally get picked first, just leave them right to the very end. They'll still get picked, but pick it in that order. See, that goes against everything that I know about how you win in life. And so we just took on what he said to do and we started picking the losers from the very start. Now, this isn't a story about how the losers felt in being picked first. To be honest, I can't remember if they even cared. This is a story about how those who were used to being picked first started to react. The people who were so used to being in that upper echelon of, of, of where they fitted into this culture started to get a bit squirmy. I could see them looking at each other and looking at me being the captain, almost pleadingly. Pick me, man. What are you doing? Pick me. And as we went on with the direction that we were given, you could see the faces of every person who was so used to being the handpick of society being left out and giving the experience of what it was like for someone else every day. Here's my point. Unless you or I have a revelation in our hearts that we are the rescued outcast, then we might put ourselves in a place in this kingdom where we see ourselves above others. And if we don't understand that we are the outcast, then we will never go to get the outcasts. Who would say, as you read the New Testament, that Paul had an ever-increasing revelation of God's love for him? Would you say that? As you read the New Testament, you can see that Paul wasn't a man who met God once and then stayed sort of at that faith level. You can see his faith increase. You can see him moving forward. I can see that. If you read your Bible, you can probably see that. Please smile, someone. We're all glad to be here. I am. Your life's changing. <laughs> Paul had an ever-increasing revelation of where he fitted into the kingdom. You can see his life moving towards Christ as a revelation of who he is in the kingdom also move forward. Do you want to hear that progression? It doesn't come from one book. It comes from three, chronologically in order of how he wrote them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, "'For I am the least of the apostles.'" Paul was already, it's not on the screen, I got this this morning. Paul was already aware of who he was because he persecuted the church. That's what that goes on to say. He says, I am an apostle, but I'm the least. Time progresses and he writes another letter, this time to the church at Ephesus. And in verse, chapter 3, verse 8, he says, though I am less than the least of all the saints. Time has changed his revelation of who he is in the kingdom. He has increased in his pursuit of Christ. His knowledge of God's love for him has gone forward. His exploits of what he's done around the world have increased. And with that, there is a very significant revelation that he's had personally. And that is, I'm actually the least of all these people in the church. 
I'm not on the level of the apostles. I'm the least. And can I tell you that it didn't stop there because Paul didn't go, oh, well, then I've reached my point. No, he kept going forward in his faith. He kept increasing. He kept moving forward. He kept doing great things. And he writes in one of his final letters to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and he says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. His revelation goes, I'm the least of one of these guys that's right on the top, to I am at the bottom of this barrel. And yet it wasn't a revelation that made him turn away from God. It was a revelation that caused him to dig deeper to God, want him more, need him more, exalt him more, praise him more, worship him more, do more for him. Do you remember when Jesus in Luke chapter 7 walks into the home of Simon the Pharisee who said, Jesus, my brother, come and have a meal with me. Simon's like the man in that society, obviously, because they were like, wow, Jesus actually said yes. He goes in, he sits down, and a woman of unredistributable, some word that means she was known to be not very nice, comes in, starts wailing, washing his feet, bawling her eyes out, cracking perfume, anointing his feet with that perfume, and they sit back and say, if Jesus only knew who this woman was, he would not allow her to touch him. Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Oh, I love that line. Please never let yourself be in a position where Jesus says, eh, I've got something to say to you. Because it's not going to be enjoyable for you. He says, two people had a debt with the same man. One had $500, one, or let's boost it up. One had a million dollars, one had $50. The kind man who was the person who that debt was to be paid to realized that both these people couldn't pay the debt, so he forgave them both. He says, Simon, which one out of those two is going to love that man more? He says, well, obviously the one who had the bigger debt. He said, that's right, Simon. I walked into your house. You did nothing for me. You didn't kiss my face. Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't wash my feet. Simon, this woman walked into your house uninvited and has wailed her eyes out at my feet. Yeah, you look at her and you see something dirty, but Simon, let me tell you all the sins that she has. And Jesus says, they are many. (laughs) She's been forgiven for every single one. And you know what, Simon? The revelation of that for her own life is the way she's worshipping me. What are you doing, Simon? What are you doing standing up there thinking you're on par with me? You know what Simon's reaction was? Who's this man that forgives sins? Hey, our revelation of who we are in this kingdom actually determines the way we respond to the king. The revelation of Jesus going to the woman at the well in Samaria had nothing to do with the location and everything to do with your understanding of where you and I fit into this kingdom. And the deeper that revelation goes, the more significant our response becomes. How do I know that? Because what was the woman's response? The disciples came out, they brought the food, they were like, what the? Jesus is talking to a woman? They were even freaking out. No, Jesus broke all the rules. She drops her well, she drops everything in life, she just moves on. And I know I've got to finish right now, but i just got to land this with you. Come on, Dan. Come on, help me. Give me the, give me the, uh, the encouraging, you've got to get off now, little moment. 
where the guy walks up to play the keyboards without you inviting him. That's like, okay, we've had enough now. I get it. All right, just let me land this. Let me land this. She drops the bucket. She drops the thing that had been the weight that she had to carry from the town to there, and, and she drops it, and she runs back to the community, and the community that has rejected her, she says, come meet a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Jesus didn't tell her good things about her life. He told her things about her life that brought conviction. This story doesn't fit all the boxes, am I right? What am I saying here? I'm saying when you get a revelation of who God is, your natural response. I don't have to stand up here and say, hey, there's a community of outcasts. Go rescue them. I don't have to say that when you get this. When you get that you're the outcast and that I'm the outcast and that Jesus has risen us from that place into a place of life, we will naturally want to go get the outcasts. And we won't determine what an outcast is based on what our society says an outcast is. We will know that an outcast is everyone who is outside of the promise of God. And our hearts would yearn for them to know the the man who told us everything about ourselves. Here's my two questions as we land this thought this morning. Are you all good? Number one, where is your Samaria? Where do you have to go that no one else will? Where's your Samaria? Is it your footy team? Is it your high school, primary school? Is it your workplace? Maybe for some of you, it's your home. Where is your Samaria? Where is the place that you are going to go to, go through, that no one else will or no one else is? Where is your Samaria? Make it personal today. If you don't know, just off the top of your head, jot it down. Have a conversation with God later. God, where's my Samaria? I promise you, if you're following him, you've got one. Question number two, who is the outcast in your path? Because we've all got one. You've all got a Samaria to go through, and you've all got a Samaritan woman to go to. Every single one of us. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you so much for your word to us today. Your word brings life in a way that is beyond anything that we can gain from this world that society can give us. There is no riches that I can hold in my hand that can outlast or outweigh the riches that you have placed in my heart. There is no experience that I can have on this earth, no great moment of receiving praise from another or rising to the top of a society that's been built. There's nothing that can compare to the depths that you've raised me out of. And now you say you've seated me next to you for all of eternity. There's nothing that this world can give me that compares to that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much today that when Jesus was on this earth walking as a man, that you made it so that he had to go through Samaria so that he could give us today an understanding of what it means to be an outcast. And Lord, I thank you that this revelation in no way is designed to make us draw back from you. It's completely designed to make us draw closer to you. I thank you that this revelation actually makes my ugly so beautiful. Because it's my revelation of my own ugliness 
that causes me, and I'm talking, just let me clarify that. I'm not talking about anything external. I'm talking about the sin. Lord, it is my revelation of my sin, my ugliness, that causes me to draw nearer to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Thank you, Jesus, so much that you went to the place that no one else would go to rescue me. Words cannot express, no prayer can do justice the significance of what that means in my life. And now, Holy Spirit, as I pray for every single person here, I ask that what they personally take away from this would be a response of going. Not a response that's being forced by a heavy hand of saying, you must, you must, but a response that comes from a personal desire for one other to experience what I've experienced. Jesus, we give our lives to you today, Lord. Please do all within us that needs to be done so that we can follow you in everything that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I ask you to stand with me this morning? I'm going to hand it over to the team. They're going to lead us in a song. We're good to go for that. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know him personally, you've never met him, you've never experienced the words of life that he has for you personally, you're still living in that place where the Bible says you're without God and without hope, then I know that you've already experienced a life where the things of this world have not been able to fulfill you. I know that. It's eternity's story. It's not mine. If that's you this morning, hey, God's here. God's so here. His presence is so here. And he says, I'd love to meet with you and I'd love to come into your world. He says, uh, he wants you to know he's not a God that stands in the stratosphere. He's a God that goes with you. And as the word says in the New Testament, he says, he's actually in you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's alive. If that's you this morning, you say, I want to meet this Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to know the life that he said that I could live. Then I'd love to pray with you. And while this song's playing, why don't you wander out of your seat? Come stand down the front and give me the opportunity to pray with you and pray for you. If you're here this morning and for any other reason, you would like someone to pray with you and pray for you, then there is a great group of leaders and myself who would love the opportunity to do that. Please don't walk out of here with a heart that wants prayer, but has a bit of a concern of what others may think. You just have to get past that today in order to have that moment of connection. So if that's you, just one or two steps forward. What if someone thinks that I'm in that first group and I need to get saved? Who cares what people think a little bit? Who cares? Come and have your own personal encounter with Jesus. If you know in your heart that you need to respond, then why don't you do that? Okay. Can we pray? Uh, Can we sing? Yeah, let's sing. Come on, let's worship.